welcome everyone who's here this morning. Uh, glad to see you. And if we have visitors, and I think we do, we're certainly glad for you being here. It's been a, a hard week on several of you that are here. Um, just been one of those weeks. And, and yet, I think there is a lot of good that has come out of this week. And if, you're, if you know what I'm talking about, then I'll let you know that my heart is with you. And uh, in, indeed, uh, I, I'm sure you understand exactly what I'm saying. Along those lines, to segue into the lesson, we're going to talk this morning and really next Sunday morning. This is sort of a two-part lesson to wrap up our theme this year. But in this quarter, we're emphasizing edification in my church. And I want us to talk this morning about what I'm going to call mutual support. And that is all of us gathering together, coming together as, and I'll use the term community, of believers coming together as a community, as a church, uh, as brothers and sisters, as a family, all those terms we've emphasized throughout the year. Sharing, that is having real fellowship between each other. But particularly this quarter, talking about building each other up. Now you see the verse that's been our theme verse for the quarter, starting this afternoon and concluding next afternoon. I'm going to really try to go through one of what has been the most difficult passage uh, passages for a number of Christians, and that's in Romans 14 and down through the first few verses of chapter 15, where our theme verse occurs. It's given a lot of problems in the church over the last 25 years, especially, but I'm going to try to deal with that passage, and so I invite you to be back this afternoon at 4 o'clock, and we'll try to wade through that passage and see the teaching that is there. But this morning... I want us to talk about giving support to one another. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 4, and you can just read it above me. I'm going to put it up here, or you can turn in your own Bible. But we've emphasized this passage throughout the year. We've talked about how, please excuse me, (coughs) we've talked about how Christ gave to us as Christians. He gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, we usually call them elders, and teachers. And verse 12 tells us in that passage the purpose for those gifts, so the purpose for each one fulfilling a role. For the perfecting, it says, or the equipping, or some translations even say furnishing of the saints. The work of the ministry, which is service, appointed service even, dedicated particular service. The edifying, the building up in the faith of the body of Christ. He goes on to say in verse 13... That we all, whether we are speaking of a local church or we're speaking of the church universal around the world, that we all might attain unity of the faith. We stress that in the beginning of the year. Real unity, true unity, an acceptance of Jesus Christ as the sole authority and striving to reach that. The knowledge, then, of the Son of God unto a man full grown. And so the body of Christ, the church is looked at as the body of Christ and how it grows up and becomes everything it is supposed to be. And reaching for, striving for the measure of the full stature, the stature of the fullness of Christ. Verse 14, that we be no longer children who are tossed to and fro by especially carried about by every wind of doctrine, every new thing that comes along, as I'll talk about this afternoon, 
including misunderstandings of passages like Romans 14, and a host of other things. But that we not be unlearned and immature in our faith. And verse 15, that we take the responsibility to speak the truth and speak it in love. And then he begins to stress the idea of what we do being in love. And I will stress that this morning. Speaking the truth in love, that we may grow up in Him, in all things. And then verse 16, our theme for the quarter. From whom? That is, from Jesus Christ then, as the head. From whom the whole body, remember the phrase, fitly joined together. and How I talked about literally from the original, it's the idea of a hinge. It all hinges on our doing and fulfilling what it says here. The whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint, every member supplies according to the effectual working, that is the productive working in the measure of every part. Everybody doing their part, making the production uh, yield the most it can yield. And thus making increase of the body unto the edifying, the building up of itself in the faith, in love. Now that becomes our responsibility. And so we talk about mutual support. Notice how in that previous passage, all of those verses, God, Christ in particular, gave all of these gifts. Everybody fills a role. That which every joint supplies. The idea of all of us working together to come to that goal, to meet that goal of the growth as we want to meet it. And so in Ephesians 4, 11 to 16 that we just read, we are taught to employ, to use all we've been given for the good of the whole. That's what the Lord wants. All of us thinking in terms of what I can do, but not for self-glory or anything like that. Not to be higher above everybody else, all the accolades thrown to me. We're not after that. We're trying to give what the Lord has equipped me to give, blessed me to be able to give. And it can be everything from my talent, my ability, my money, you know, my home, my whatever, even myself and those I love. But to give that for the good of the whole. To speak the truth. And always to emphasize that, as we talked about last week in the balances. To speak the truth, but to speak it in love. We don't see Jesus just running around always speaking every point of truth that could be spoken, even if it was detrimental at the time, if someone was too immature to handle it, or he wasn't speaking it in the right attitude. We don't see that. No, we see the truth spoken in love, and we're to carry on doing that. To edify ourselves, to build ourselves up, notice again, in love. So I'll make a couple of observations. You know, we generally support those we love. And we generally count on those who love us for support. If I need to be held up or supported, if I need someone to have my back, as we sometimes say, I turn to the people who love me. And I can count on that. We we support those we believe in. And that may even carry outside our families and our close friends, but if I believe in someone if I count on them to perform a certain way, etc., I I give my support to that person. We believe in those we want to see reach or achieve their greatest potential. We may even say to a little child, you know, you think of just when a child is trying to walk and how encouraging people will be. 
and how they support that child in that effort. And as the child strains and all of that, we support them because we believe in them and we want to see them achieve their potential. Now, that should carry over into the Lord's church. And yet, there's so many moods, there's so many feelings, there's so many attitudes, so many actions that go by the name of love. In other words, people may think they are supporting someone by what they're saying, doing, feeling, etc., but it may not be love. And so we can be easily misdirected. You know, I count on you to support me, meaning I expect you to do so-and-so. But it may not be loving or real love what I expect them to do. And we know that is true, and we see how people get misdirected by that, even in so-called supporting each other. And so, merely giving approval. Someone comes to me and they are practicing or believing or doing something that's wrong, and they say, I expect you to support me. What they mean is, I expect you to agree with me, or I expect you to approve of me, even though I'm doing this, and I know you don't believe in it, I expect your support. That's not support, and it is certainly not love. The best thing I can do for an individual when they're doing wrong and they're making mistakes, they're making choices that are going to be harmful to them, is to stand against it and to let them know I do not approve of it. It is not right. Not because I'm right and you're wrong, but it's because I love you and because Jesus is right. And the best thing for your life is to do what the Lord teaches. If I give you support, then I support you to do what's right. And I refuse to approve of what's wrong. That doesn't mean I'm trying to be mean about it. That doesn't mean I'm trying to always find fault with you about it. If that's what's coming across, then I need to do a better job. Because it's not about that. It is about me loving you, really loving you, and supporting you in love. And so to summarize, we're going to look at some things about love by alliteration. You should have seen this somewhat, at least the major point, but I'm going to change it around and apply it to this quarter's teaching. But by alliteration, let's describe love as we might find it in the New Testament. It won't be everything we could say about it, but it will be a lot along the lines of how you and I really support each other. How we build each other up and we do it in love. Now that's our job. So let me start off just by saying this. Mutual support. If we're talking about a church that is going to edify in love and thus be built to where it needs to be built. If we're talking about that, it's going to require a love that is first of all caring. I've got to care about you and you've got to know that. Even if someone comes to me and wants me to approve of something that's not right. No matter how I express my disapproval, and I have to, I want them to walk away from that meeting knowing that even though I disapprove, even though I don't agree, I care about you. And I expect the same from you toward me. And if I'm doing my job, they will leave that, even knowing I disapprove, even knowing I don't agree, They'll leave that knowing that I care. Let me talk about caring for a moment. Look at James chapter 2 with me, if you will. We've been studying this downstairs in my Wednesday night class, so some of you know exactly what I'm going to say here. But read verses 14 through 16 with me. What does it profit, my brethren, though a man say he has faith and he does not have works? 
can faith save him? It's a rhetorical question. The answer is no. Faith cannot save you without works, and he will go on to tell you that in this passage. So he illustrates, and it has to do with caring about your brother. If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, they're not clothed properly, they don't have food to eat, do you care? Now notice, this is a brother or sister, and you're aware of it. You know specifically, individually, the needs of someone else here. And one of you were to say to them in verse 16, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled. Notwithstanding, you give them not those things that are needful for the body. What does that profit? I'm going to paraphrase verse 16. I know someone who's hungry. I know someone who doesn't have proper clothing. I kind of put my arm around them or pat them on the shoulder and say, Man, I hope everything works out for you. You go on now, and I hope it all works out for you. What good does that do? In fact, what it probably does is enrage someone toward me. But they do not leave that situation thinking, oh, Michael really cares about me. Now, the point is, it's the ability to sympathize, to try to understand what someone else is feeling. Even to reach back when you've gone through the same thing and empathize. You really share in the feeling. You know what it's like. In that particular case, to not have proper food and clothing, I know what that's like. So I feel that. And I know when a person is going through that, what they feel, because it's been a long time. But I remember what it feels like. It's the ability to weep with those who weep, Romans 12, verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice. If something's hurting you, it should hurt me. Or I at least should feel it. I should care, is the point. And if you're happy about something, you've, you've advantaged in some way, you've been blessed in some way, it ought not be my first thought, well, I wish it was me instead of you. It ought to be, you know, I'm glad for you, man. I'm really glad for you. And want what I have that's good and that blesses me, want that for other people. It's that ability. It is Galatians 6 and verses 1 through 3. And how Paul says, brethren, if a man is overtaken in a fault. Now, you know what that means? It's a military term. It talks about a soldier who stumbles down the wrong pass going through the mountains. If you know anything about that kind of thing, you know that going down the wrong pass and getting separated from the group and being on the wrong path where everything starts looking the same, you can die out there. And if a brother is overtaken in a fault, if he's practicing something, doing something, and you know that he's on the wrong path and it's going to lead to his destruction, you care. And you try to restore such a one to doing the right thing. But notice how he says it. Verse 1. Restoring such a one in meekness. Gentleness is the idea. Your strength under... You know, you're in control of your strength. You're not just leveling them with everything you could say or do in this situation. You're gentle. And then it also says, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Because when I'm going to someone who's on the wrong path, who's going down the wrong road and can be destroyed by that, there but for the grace of God go I. And when, and not if, But when I'm the one going down the wrong path, 
I hope someone will help me bear my burden, verse 2, and fulfill the law of Christ. I hope someone in gentleness will try to restore me because they care. Notice it requires a love that's creative. It goes beyond just the have to, like the Pharisees. They affirm the list. Remember Luke 18? <clears throat> Pharisee goes out to pray, Jesus said. And he lifts up his eyes to heaven. And he begins to proclaim to God. Boy, I thank you, God. I thank you. I'm not an extortioner. I'm not this. I'm not that. I'm not like that dirty, filthy publican over there. I fast twice. And he had his list. And Jesus talked about the publican that just beat his breast, lowered his eyes to the ground, said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Which person is looking at how much can I do for the Lord? The Pharisee who looks at how much he's done? Or the publican who just begs for mercy for what he's not done? Which one wants to do as the Lord wants him to do? Love as the Lord wants him to love. Support his brethren as the love wants him to support. You know, a lot of brethren, for all we condemn the Pharisee, Practically speaking, a lot of brethren do the same thing. They have their list. And if you were to ask them about their life, their spiritual life, how's their spiritual life going? And if they were to tell you what they're feeling, and sometimes they do, they will talk about what they don't do. I don't do this, and I don't do that, and I don't do the other thing. And they'll talk about what they do. You know, I do this, and I do that, and let me tell you how I do this better than somebody else does it. What is that different from the Pharisee? No, rather, I look at the Apostle Paul. In the book of Philippians, Paul had served the Lord for nearly 30 years. And in that time, he'd been beaten, he'd been beaten up, he'd been beaten down, he was tired, he was old, he was ready to leave this life. I'd just rather die and be with Christ, for that is gain. Nevertheless. If I stay here and I continue to be beaten up and beaten down, I continue to get more tired and older. That's better for you. I think the Christian who loves and wants to support other people thinks about other people. And this is what they say. I want to live. Not for all the enjoyment I get. Not for all the great things that can come my way. But I want to live because I care about other people. And I want to be here for that person. I want to help my daughter or my son get to where they need to be before I go. I want to be an influence to my grandchildren. Something they can remember about an old man who was still trying to do more for Jesus. I want other people around me to see that. Not so they'll come up and pat me on the back, tell me what a great person I am. I mean, y'all feel free to do that today, but <clears throat> that's not why. But because I love people, and I want to help people, this is a good thing. And that's what Paul was saying. You see, the idea is, love doesn't ask, have I done enough for God? You know, have I done enough so I can go to heaven? Love is always asking the question, what more can I do? Because love disposes us to creatively, you see, support and love. To seek opportunities to do that because we love other people. It requires a love that's compelling. You know, we ask questions like, what's the best thing 
that I can do for everybody considered. Not what I want, what I'd like. I've said this many times. You can come up to me and I have an opinion about everything. You can ask me that. I may or may not tell you. But I like certain clothes. I like certain colors. I like certain movies. I like certain sports teams. I like this. I like that. But when we're talking about doing something to support and build up the whole, we're asking the question, what's the best for everybody? What's the most benefit to everybody? Not just what I want, but what will help the most people. Love doesn't just allow behavior. Is it okay for me to do this? Is it all right for me to do that? Is it my right to do so and so? It's not asking those questions. There may be plenty of things that are all right for you to do and that God allows you to do, but it may not be the best choice right now, today, in this situation. And so love goes beyond that. It forces you to do certain things because it's good, as Paul would say, or the article if you read it in the bulletin, because it's good for the gospel's sake, 1 Corinthians 9. Because it helps to win other people. It's the best thing for right now in this situation. Not just what I like, or even what's right for me to do. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 23, everything that I do, I think I meant to put 33, but everything I do is to the glory of God. And when we come away from this situation, I don't want to just have what I want agreed to by everybody else. I want God to be glorified. You know, if someone observes that and looks at a situation knowing that I didn't get what I want, but we walked away from that closer and stronger and says, to God be the glory, then I've loved and supported my brother. If we all had that attitude, how much bickering would be put to rest? Love requires us to be comprehensive. We talked a lot this year about prejudice, you know, the idea of including everybody. But I want you to go with me to 1 Corinthians 12. And even though the word is never used, I want you to notice how much prejudice could be involved here. We're a body. And we're trying to build this body up in the truth, in love. And you'll notice how... Paul goes through this, describing the body, and says in verse 14, The body is not one member, but it is many. And they're different. One's a foot, one's a hand, one's a finger, one's an eye, one's a nose, etc., etc. And so, if the foot should say, because I'm not the hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? Is that not a form of prejudice? I'm not as good as somebody else. I'm only, quote-unquote, a foot. Or if you turned it around and said, of the eye, and you began to emphasize the eye, I'm an eye, I see, I'm important. I think there are people in leadership positions, if you want to call them that, that feel that and easily get carried away with that. I'm a preacher. I'm important. I said downstairs this morning as we were talking about one of the major cultic religions of the world, Now, I don't want this to happen. But if I don't make it out of this pulpit and I fall dead, I fully suspect this church will go on. 
You'll close out this service. You'll have the next. I hope you'll carry them going. <laughs> but this church doesn't depend on me. I'm a part. And the Lord will bless someone else to be the part. And they'll do the work. Because that's what this passage is saying. And so never can I look at someone else and, I, and can I say, James, too, you're not dressed a certain way. You don't look a certain way. You don't do a certain thing, so you're not important. No, he even talks about this in this passage. Even the feeble members, the ones that are less comely, they don't look as good. They don't seem as strong. They're necessary. And we've talked about that many times. I love this little poem. I've quoted it, I don't know, several times before. Someone gave it to me when I first started preaching, and I've used it a lot. Edwin Markham said, he drew a circle that shut me out. Heretic, rebel, a thing to flout. But love and I had the wit to win. We drew a circle that took him in. If we all did that, where would we be? And finally, love is community-oriented. We're a church. We're not on a desert island somewhere by ourselves going to live the rest of our lives alone. We're in a community. We are a body. We are part of one by that which every joint supplies. I'm a a single joint in a body. And it all hinges on the fact that we understand that, if we orient ourselves toward that intellectually. If that's in my mind and that guides me, rules me, I'm always thinking, I'm part of the whole. It's not me. There is no me, me, me. If I'm always orienting myself emotionally, that these are my brothers and sisters, and I need to treat them that way and love them that way and embrace them that way. If I'm always orienting, if we are always orienting ourselves functionally to understand that, I am one single part. Not more important, not less important than anyone else. If we're always doing that, then we understand the nature of the kingdom. Matthew 6, verse 33 says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Because you see, I'm always putting the church first, not me first. I'm I'm always thinking and feeling, I love your kingdom, Lord. But notice that phrase, we sing that song. It is Your kingdom, not mine. You are the Lord, not me. And if that's the way I feel and that's what I understand, then we participate as Christians in a community. We act that way. We feel that. We know that. We reach to meet the needs of others to support and build them up. And I go back one last time to the illustration of a body. You all know, or most of you do, I've got an old, old knee injury. And it's given to just give me trouble anytime, anywhere. Leaving here Wednesday night. I was standing at the back of the building, as I always do, saying goodbye to everybody, etc. I stood there. But I unconsciously didn't think, didn't move around. If you watch me, I'm all, even up here, I'm always shifting. I'm always moving that leg because if I don't, it stiffens, and it hurts. Well, I didn't. I got, you know, caught up with a couple of conversations with the kids and that kind of thing. I just didn't think about it. 
We started to leave, and I started to walk around, as I always do, make sure the lights are out. I had to go down this side of the building holding every bench because I was hurting. All the way home, the rest of the night, the next morning I had a funeral to do, thankfully. It was loosened up by the next morning. My point is this. When part of your body is hurting, all your attention goes to that body. To that part of the body. Knees in trouble. Let's help out. Hands, grab something. Support, you know. It's that kind of thing. Other leg, do your job, you know. we got to care. We have to surround that part that's hurting. We have to be the kind of people who say, what do you need? What can I do? How can I help? We have to give where we can, do what we can. And we're not looking at that knee is out of whack. I hate that knee. Let me get that knee. I'd rather you just cut it out. I'm going to tell you something. Man. I've been hurting for 40 years on that knee. I never wanted to get rid of it. You know? We're a community. And you know the point. Let's care. Let's do what we can. Even look for opportunities to do what we can. Let's not let prejudice wreck this place. Whether it's prejudice about the way someone looks or how they think or what they know or whatever it is. Let's be the community the Lord wants us to be. Are you here this morning and you're not a child of God? You believe that Jesus is, is the Son of God. You'll confess that belief. You will give your life to Him and do what He wants. If you'll be baptized for forgiveness of your sins, you begin your life in Christ at that very moment. Maybe you're here and you've done that and you've wandered away and we, we see people from time to time who recognize that. And you just want to come back to the Lord, start over, like Marvin was talking about, return to me. And you want to return to the Lord and start all over. Won't you please come while we stand and sing?